one of the things that is key is making sure that if your church is liable, that this liability isn't passed on to your members. And that is exactly what happens in in a lot of states when you have what's called an unincorporated association. Welcome to the Church Council Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Story. I'm an attorney who specializes in church law, and I want to invite you along the journey as we explore my years of volunteering, working for, and then acting as legal counsel for the local church. During each episode, we will examine one of the three essential parts of building a secure church, your foundation, the framing, and the facade, where the foundation is your church's core beliefs, the framing is your operational structure, and the facade is the outward connectivity to your members and guests. Using this framework. We hope to simplify church law and proactively protect the minister's ministry and mission of your church and prepare you along the way for handling the unexpected events as they arise. When's the last time your church pulled out your church's documents? Been a while, I bet. You see, the thing that can cause more concern for any church leader is not knowing how your church is actually formed. What's the basis of your church? We need to make sure that your church is secured, that you understand how you're legally set up. And if you're not, I would encourage you to look at becoming an incorporated church and making sure that you are adequately protecting your members by doing that. Thanks for listening to the Church Council Podcast. If your church needs assistance with its foundation, framing, or facade, call the Church Council a law firm for churches brought to you by the Story Law Firm, PLLC. Visit churchcouncil.com or call 1-877-273-3830. Whether your church bylaws need an update or you need policies and procedures reduced to writing, let the Church Council be your trusted legal source. Visit churchcouncil.com today. And now, here's Travis. Welcome back, church. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Church Council Podcast. Today, we are continuing our series on reducing church liability. And today, we're specifically saying uh, one of the ways to reduce that liability is for your church to become incorporated. If you are not incorporated, now is a good time to think about it. As always, we're viewing this through our three components of a church, which is the foundation, the framing, and the facade of your church. The foundation being the core of who your church is, the framing being the structure that holds your church up, and the facade, which is the exterior that your church members and guests see and experience. Today, we are focusing on the core component of framing. This is very important. This is one of the things that makes us who we are. This is not always a foundational document, um, although it, it very much can be. But today we're talking about what is holding your church up, and that is your church should be incorporated. Why is this important? It's important because we're in this series right now on reducing your church's liability. One of the things that is key is making sure that if your church is liable, that this liability isn't passed on to your members. 
And that is exactly what happens in in a lot of states when you have what's called an unincorporated association. So a little bit of a history lesson. There didn't used to be a nonprofit corporation. And so a church would decide to form. Two, three people got together. They said, hey, we're going to start a church. They constituted together to begin a church. Therefore, they formed a church constitution. They put it together out of nothing. There was no governmental oversight. There was no system to make sure that there are not, you know, two fourth Baptists of a town, uh, churches that were, were all there and had the same names and were confusing. Anybody could do whatever they wanted. And you're an unincorporated association just because you said you were, uh, since then there have been, uh, different laws that have come into place, especially dealing with things like unincorporated associations. There are the uniform unincorporated unincorporated uh, nonprofit association laws. And so these were first started in 1996. Um, and now there's a revised one that came out and, uh, recently, uh, in 2008 and, and 2013, some states have adopted these. They take care of some of the liability issues that we're talking about today, but honestly, there's not enough states that have done this to make sure that, that this is a foolproof plan. And so if your church is operating and your church is, I'd say of, of any decent substantial size, such that you're more than maybe just a home church or, or something along those lines, uh, you're going to need to incorporate because one of the things that the incorporation brings you is limited liability. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. How do we limit our liability as a church? And the answer is, if you're an unincorporated association, you can pass on that liability to your members, which means the members of your church, when they said, hey, I want to come join your church, and they are now a member of your church, are all jointly and severally liable, meaning like they're not liable proportionately. They're all liable for all of it. If there was a $10,000 judgment against your church for something that went wrong, that $10,000 could theoretically be collected upon from any one of your church's members. That's not what we want. It also exposes the pastor, the elders, the board of directors, whoever, you, however you're set up, it exposes them to more individual liability. One of the reasons we want to incorporate is it relieves the pastor, the, the board of directors, the, the officers of the individual liability for whatever the church does. It just means the church entity itself stands behind all of the actions. And then the church can go and help cover potentially that liability with insurance. So when we start looking at how exactly your church is set up, we have to ask two questions. We covered this in, in way back in episode two is your church using a constitution or a set of bylaws. If you have a constitution, you should be 
an unincorporated association. If you have a set of bylaws, you should be incorporated within your state, which means you have gone through the process of registering generally with the Secretary of State. And once you have done that, you have received an official new name, meaning we are such and such church, comma, Inc., I-N-C period, typically. And this is where you're going to make sure that if you are incorporated, that we are using that incorporation to communicate, to represent ourselves to the public. So what does that mean? It means that you are going to use a different EIN number. So the tax identification number for your church, you want to make sure that it is related to the incorporated nonprofit entity, which you have formed. This can sometimes be confusing. Oftentimes I've gone into a church and what they've done is they started off as an unincorporated association. At some point they converted, they formed an entity So they got a nonprofit corporation, but they never got a new EIN number. They never got um, the separate tax identification number for the entity. That's a problem. You want to make sure that you not only have the entity formed in the state in which you're residing, but that we've also got a EIN number for that particular entity. They are not interchangeable. One number goes with an unincorporated association. One number goes with the incorporated church. So if you don't have that, we need to obtain you a new EIN number. But why do I recommend going with this incorporated entity? There are obviously people out there who say, ooh, you shouldn't be subject to anything. Don't be subject to the state. Don't don't go through them. Don't set up anything. And I understand the heart behind that. I think it's the wrong and short-sighted issue to say, hey, we're the church. We're not supposed to be regulated by anybody. We're not supposed to have to answer to anybody. And I and I understand the the sentiment. But I don't agree in practice that that's how this works. I believe your church is best served by going ahead and incorporating in the state that you're in. And then you can always do whatever you want inside that corporation, knowing that the corporation obviously stands behind whatever the the action, the ministry, the whatever you're doing um, is. But if there's a liability issue, it's the church's issue, not the members of the unincorporated association. So why would a church ultimately want to incorporate other than the liability issue? First of all, I think the liability issue is, is sufficient and should be all, all the encouragement that you honestly need to, uh, to go ahead and form. But are there other things? And the answer is, Yes. One of the things that a lot of times churches do is they want to obtain a 501c3 nonprofit status. Okay. If you do that, if you want a 501 a 501c3 status designation, which is a separate document that you file with the Internal Revenue Service, so the IRS, right? You're going to ask them to designate your entity as a nonprofit organization. 
And that is what the 501c3 does. Now, as part of that, you must have two things. One, you must have a recognized um, entity, meaning you need a nonprofit corporation. You cannot be, repeat, you cannot be an unincorporated association and receive a 501c3 designation. It doesn't work. You need to be a corporation that then applies to the IRS and says, I want to actually have a tax determination done that I am a nonprofit organization and that I should not be subject to any tax for any of the receipts or the things that your organization actually brings in. Now, does a church need a 501c3? The answer is no. There's no requirement that your church has it. And yes, all of your members who donate, donate funds, give tithes and offerings, all that, those are all still tax deductible to them. So it does not require that you have a 501c3 in order to be able to give out tax receipts, in order to be able to have all the deductions for um, anybody who's giving tithes and offerings. But if you want the 501c3, then it is something you will have to have a corporation, uh, specifically the nonprofit corporation, in order to make that occur. Why would you want that? There's a couple of quick reasons. Sometimes, depending on your state, there are advantages to having your 501c3, such as elimination or reduction of sales tax. There can also be uh, giving issues. I have worked with numerous ministries and churches who were basically receiving, I'll say, larger gifts of some kind. And the accountants and financial people of the donor, meaning the person who wants to give the church money, wanted to make sure that this was a registered 501c3. Now, again, I I don't agree that they actually have to have that. I think you can always deduct uh, charitable giving to the church. But to to be kind of the belt and suspenders answer that uh, they were receiving from their their attorneys and financial advisors, they wanted a 501c3 formed. They wanted to make sure it it was there. And upon doing that, we were able to uh, effectively receive the gift from this individual. So sometimes it helps with some of the giving issues that people can have and, and the hesitation that, you know, this church is actually a 501c3, that all the deductions will be honored, that they're going to, you know, get all the proper things that they need in order to deduct this amount from the the donor's taxes. And I understand that. I'm not critiquing that. I don't think it's actually necessary for that reason, but I do think it gives a lot of comfort to someone when they know there is a 501c3. That's what they're giving to. Uh, it has a lot of good connotations that's important. And for that reason, I think uh, even doing the 501c3 is a good overall move. We just have to make sure that you get an incorporation done because that is required. The second thing that's required is a purpose. The church must state in the formal 
document, which is the bylaws of the corporation, what they are going to do. Now, this honestly can be very general. It can be uh, any legal purpose. That is a purpose, and we can do that. It can also be anything that's more descriptive. If we want to say the church is going to, uh, you know, do this and we are a, a ministry and we primarily focus on feeding the poor. Um, if that's the purpose and that's where you're going, we can state that in your uh, foundational documents, which again would be bylaws. And we can make sure that that purpose is known. Once we have that purpose, then your church can uh, go ahead and apply for the 501c3. So why do we want to make sure that your church is set up in order to be able to receive these gifts, to operate with limited liability? Because ultimately, when the church uh, runs into an issue, if the church was sued, we want to make sure that the church itself bears the responsibility. Now, again, we can cover that with insurance, but I, I had clients who had been part of a church for years and years and years. They were an unincorporated association. The, the finance uh, director was also a CFO of a very large company. When they found out that all of the members could be potentially jointly and severally liable for all of this, it was real clear who any potential uh, plaintiff's attorney, so to speak, or, or any attorney would go after. It would be this guy because he had lots of liquid assets. He would be the easiest to collect from, hands down. What he didn't realize by becoming a member of the church that he had now exposed himself to all of this individual liability when he thought he was just helping the church by volunteering for one of these positions. What he didn't realize is it wasn't because he was volunteering for this position, but by the mere fact that he was yet a member of the church, a church that was at that time set up as an unincorporated association, he would be number one target if the church had received any kind of legal action or been subject to any kind of judgment. So real quick, we decided we needed to form a nonprofit organization for that church, convert their church constitution into a set of bylaws, adopt that set of bylaws, and ultimately that let everybody move forward without the risk that whether it was that individual or, or others would actually be um, called to account in a jointly and severally liable way for whatever the damages were um, within the church. So what else is necessary to make sure that we have a valid organization set up as a nonprofit in your state? Well, like I said before, we have to have the, the purpose clause. Um, we've got to have language in there that talks about what are we doing? Um, it can be very general, but I always in, encourage more detail. And, and it's one of those things where one of the interesting definitions of what is a church 
uh, is, is somewhat questionable. The IRS, even when they have a 501c3 application, they don't have a definition for what a church is. They have multiple uh, indications that this is a church. Are you uh, meeting together for, for some kind of worship service at least once per week? Are you um, doing things like licensing, ordination? Are you performing um, some kind of ministry? Uh, what does that look like? And so those are things that we would want to make sure are included in your bylaws so that we've clearly stated what the exempt purpose is. And so we can make sure that all of that is documented properly. And then one of the things that the uh, we need to make sure the nonprofit organization has is a dissolution clause. Now, the dissolution clause is if the the church or the entity ended up wanting to dissolve, go out of business, if the church was going to um, merge with another church, if the church was going to uh, take some kind of action and shut down, then we should have in our bylaws some kind of dissolution statement. How are we going to take any funds that we have and apply them, whether that's um, giving them to a replacement entity or another 501c3 entity? We need to make sure that we have that information and that we're able to provide that uh, when we actually are forming the nonprofit corporation. We're going to need to tell the IRS, for example, what our plan of dissolution is. The other thing is if we're going to form a 501c3, we need to make sure that we can, one, fill out all the documents, have everything that we need, but we also need to make sure that when we're setting up the organization, we have accounted for all of the positions within the organization. We have set up the, the board of directors effectively, and we've nominated all of those people. Again, we have previously talked about the difference between officers and directors. So I'd encourage you to go listen to that episode uh, and make sure you understand that uh, a nonprofit corporation has both officers and directors. The directors, meaning the board of directors, are the actual in charge party uh, to start with. And then the officers are the ones that actually execute the day-to-day functioning of the organization. So make sure that we have that um, clear and that when we are forming our bylaws, we want to ensure that we always have our, uh, our statement of faith, our missional purpose, anything that makes sure that what we are ultimately dealing with is an entity that's ecclesiastical in nature. We are stating that this is what we believe, this is why we're doing what we're doing, and go from there. Once we have that, we can make sure that we can form our bylaws, we can set up our nonprofit corporation, and then ultimately we can make the decision uh, shortly after the formation 
if we need a 501c3 designation, and if so, we can get that designation set up for your church. That way you know you're incorporated, that you have reduced the liability of your church, and that you're able to operate and continue in as safe a manner as possible. Thanks so much for listening today. If you need a refresher on some of the top five tips we have to reduce your church's liability, check out our website at churchcouncil.com and download episode 14's PDF on five tips to reduce your church's liability so that you can email them to a friend. Makes Make sure some other pastor that you know might have a liability problem knows these five quick tips and that way we can secure the church so we can continue the mission on together. Thank you so much for listening to the Church Council Podcast. I've been your host, Travis Story. I truly hope that the practical takeaways from today's episode is something that will bless and protect your ministry. If you found today's discussions helpful and want to be updated as we publish new content, please subscribe so that you're notified as new episodes become available. Also, if you found that today was worthy of your time, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice so that other ministries can find and be blessed by this content. Until next time, keep serving and protecting your ministry. Industries.